Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is up wizards fans welcome to another believe in wizards podcast i'm matt moderno i've got jihadi white joining me here in a minute and also atan thomas really great episode a lot of discussion on just what happened to the center position in the nba and what that looks like and what it means for the wizards and what they should do moving forward and all that kind of great stuff we talk about nil we talked playing with jordan just a lot of really good stuff here uh for wizards fans i think for a summer podcast you're going to really enjoy the content and then some stuff on the back end about Atan's uh, latest book and, and all kinds of great stuff. And if you haven't read anything uh, that he's put out previously, I would highly recommend it. He's just a very talented guy and we appreciate his time. As always, we're brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, tennis, UFC, all that good stuff. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website today to sign up and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. We're also brought to you by Stateside Vodka and their hard iced teas, hard lemonades. They're called Surfsides. They're delicious. I can't tell you enough how much I personally enjoy them. And again, still hot as shit outside. So uh, they're, they're going to really come in handy. So uh, definitely check those out if you haven't already. There's a variety of flavors. And uh, like I said, they're all really good. Also, just... If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel yet, please go ahead and do that. Uh, it's Believe in Wizards, pretty straightforward. Help us grow that thing. The more people subscribe, hit the like button during all that stuff, uh, the more visible it is. That's really what these things are about, being discoverable to other Wizards fans, which really helps us. So if you like the show, uh, we're not really asking for a whole lot in return. Uh, it just help us spread the word to other people like that. So I uh, appreciate you guys doing that. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get to our conversation with Atan Thomas. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. He's Jihadi White, and we have a special guest joining us here today, Mr. Atan Thomas. Atan, thanks for coming on again. Uh, multiple uh, time guest on the show here, so we appreciate you coming back. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Uh, Jihadi, this was somebody you definitely wanted to bring on here. Anything you want to say uh, about your former teammate before we get going? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Atan is, is my guy, man. So, you know, Atan... I saw him through Syracuse, played against each other, came to the Wizards, um, pretty much was under my wing, you know, and we really, really bonded, you know, on and off the court. And now our sons are playing both high school basketball in the EYBL circuit, so I see him all the time. Yeah. He always, you know, I always support what he does. Obviously, he supports what I do. I do. Had a great career. Played for Oklahoma, right? Then you right. played for Atlanta. Washington. Then you played for you played for Dallas as well, right? You was drafted to Dallas. Dallas, right? I came over on the Jawan Howard trade, so it was like half the team came over. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I came yeah. to the Wizards, and I was with the Wizards for a while. Um, then at the end right. of the career, I played one year at Oklahoma City and one year at Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Great NBA career. Yeah. And so. And now he's uh, have has a great journalism career, you know, as far as his, his shows, as far as his books. Um, it's just something to be commended 
to where he's have gone after the after the NBA. But then again, I saw it while he was playing in the NBA because he was saying, hey, man, you want to go to some of my poetry readings? I was like, what? <laughs> no, we don't we have we we don't play we don't do poetry while we playing basketball. You know, that's not normally what my teammates asked me to go do, but yeah, wow. go check it out. Yeah. And, he, and it was just amazing and just just his poet the way he, you know, his poetry and the way the, the crowd took to him and the way he was so intense, you know, really in tune with it. You know, I, I knew he would be do great things after his career. I appreciate that, big fella. Appreciate it. And, you know, it's funny, you know, you talk about from Syracuse, you know, when we first, when I first encountered you, um, my freshman year in Syracuse, I was not ready for Jahani White. <laughs> I would say that, you know, for, for real. It was, I remember it so well. It was in the Dome, um, Otis, Otis Hill, the other yeah. center. He had gotten into foul trouble. And um, the backup center, he, was, he wasn't there. So coach threw me in. And man, Coach Thompson must have went into Jahadi every single time. And he told Jahadi, just dunk on me. So I was either going to try to foul him, try to block him. I couldn't just move out of the way. So I ended up getting quick fouls, like real quick. And uh, that was my welcome to Jahadi moment. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't ready. I think, I think you was in a uh, made a Syracuse record. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, no. For the quickest foul out ever. I said the Syracuse record for the quickest foul out ever. And it was all fouls on Jahadi. Nobody else. <laughs> it was all on you. Yeah, but what you don't know, I, he was he was a tough player. So what I what I remember, I remember that game, not because I, you know, how quickly he fouled out, but how hard I had to play and how physical he was. So when I when he came to NBA, especially when he came on the team, I'm like, oh yeah. I literally I remembered him. He stuck in my mind because of how physical he was and he could jump out the gym. I was like, man, let me make sure this guy don't dunk on me. You know, so I knew about him before I played against him. Yeah, those are the good old days. Those were the good old days. So honestly, you know, basketball was so different back then. You know what I mean? It was so physical. Those those big East games, Syracuse versus Georgetown, we're like beating each other up the whole game. You know what I mean? And no fouls, no flopping, no anything like that, no flagrant. No, we just just straight physical play. I mean, and it's, it's, it's crazy how different of a game it is now. Like, you touch someone, and they go flying, and they might even call it flagrant. Yeah, that, that's not how it was when we played at all. Not at all. Only five, only flops that we would ever really, really ever deal with is when a, a small is going to big in the paint. You do that right. one dribble, and they fall back. Yeah. Other than that, you would never see a flop ever. So, Especially not with big men, not with us. Like no, not against, no, we couldn't. Not against each other. We, it, 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 was, it was a rule if you did that. You probably pulled a chair. Yeah. But it's a rule if if, if a big man flop against a big man. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like you you out of you out of the club. Well, of course, hundred yeah. percent. You know, you got you got to like match up, like you know, and especially like like cross checking, like coming across the lane and you check them and you oh, stand yeah. them up. There ain't none of that no more. It's, right. You just gotta let them go. <laughs> Here you go across the lane. I like ain't so free. You just yeah. let them go. It's, you know, and that's something that was a rule. Yeah, that's a rule. You don't don't because you when you think about the lane, and that's how I'm sure you were taught this way, but this is how Coach Thompson really taught us. Uh -huh. Lane is your house. Uh huh. Your domain. Would you, let, would, you, would you let someone come in your house and just come in your house, break into your house, and just still and you just watch them? You just. So, Lane, you got to protect your home. Anything in the paint is your home. 
Yeah. So if anybody even tries to come in your home, they got they got to re- when they leave, they have to remember going in. Yeah, hundred percent. It's probably a pride thing for you guys too, right? You didn't want somebody to come in and you know get something over you, and and you felt like you flopped when you could have stopped them straight up. But I think there's something that I don't want to we miss with basketball today because of that. I mean, it was just different. I mean, even when so if you do fall on the ground, like back in the day, I mean, this is even guards too. You fall on the ground, you pop back up real quick, mm-hmm. right? You're like now, <laughs> if guys fall on the ground, they lay down, rolling around, roll over. Try to see if they go get the flagrant, or t- I'm like, yeah, it's totally different. I don't know. Do you feel like that watching the games now? Like, wow, this is really a completely different style of basketball than we play. Uh, yeah, I do. I actually feel like that a lot. What I feel like is, is how do you go from a prideful game to the whole point of not playing prideful some somewhat, right? Because flopping, you to me, just flopping and. and just in itself, you have to let go some pride. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, it's not, and and everything is so free-flowing, mm-hmm. right? The, the lane is wide open. Um, people play, you can't, you literally cannot touch anyone. Like, mm-hmm. so many, it's so many calls in the game now. You can't touch anyone. Um, and it's, and it's obviously purposeful, right? They want the game to be, but it takes away the the a major element of the game, the the physical element of the game to me, which is the best part, right? You know, that's we loved watching when the Detroit Pistons playing against Chicago Bulls, how physical it was, or the Lakers playing against the Celtics, or mm-hmm. or how physical. Celtics were with with Cleveland when Paul P- I mean with Paul Pierce, KG, LeBron was in there, right? So mm-hmm. that that's when especially the playoffs, that's the whole point is the physical element. Now, can we see how you played in regular season? How can you now when we about to lay this wood on you and we're about to be physical with you, can you still perform, right? And that's the excitement of the game. It, it's the factor of other than just running up and down we watched the game for the physical element. Why wouldn't you like watching Dennis Rodman, right? So yeah. I don't know why they took that out and why they're now harping on the refs to call everything. It it's it makes the game it's it's makes the game slow down to me. They try to make it fast, but he's slowing it down because every two seconds is a call. Well interestingly though Flo, so some of my favorite um playoff series were the, the the Knicks and Miami Heat. And they were just battling each other. Just bloodbaths. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but it was great. Low scores yeah. in the 80s or something like that. But it was just great basketball. Mm-hmm. And then there was a shift. Like, they wanted more scoring. And they wanted, you know, 125 to, you know what I mean, 134 to be the score. And I don't, you know, it, it's, it's different. It's like the emphasis became less on defense. And they wanted more you know, shots. So it's not as much as, you know, I'm going to lock you up. It's more of, I'm going to outscore you. So, all right, you go ahead and score this one. Now I'm going to rush back and run to the three and then I'm going to score, you know what I mean? And, and, and outscore you. And that's just, it's just a different style of basketball, but everything kind of comes in evolutions. Like, you know, when, when Golden State had all the success that they had playing that certain way, um, you know, it's a copycat league. So everybody wanted to shoot threes like Steph and Clay and, and, you know, high volume threes. So then it started trickling down to college and high school level where you see high schools and they just 
firing up threes. Yeah, and, they're like, they and they're not making all of them. You know I mean? <laughs> but, but that's the strategy, though, yeah. to, to fire them up, to try to outscore. And it's, you know, and, I, and that's what sometimes I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, yeah, this is a totally different brand of basketball. But that's that's what it is. It is. It is. I remember playing in Charlotte. You know how before the season you get the new rules that the NBA give you, the new mm-hmm. rules. And every rule was about pretty much taking away the center's position or the center's ability to do anything at all. Yeah. Right. The, yeah. You can't, now you can't stand in the paint. Right. Three seconds in the paint. Like, yeah. That is like, like, so, and I was like, okay, well, Shaq, and I realized, well, Shaq is out the game. This mm. is about when Shaq left. Okay. Shaq was pretty much kind of going out. So everything was against Shaq. Yeah. So, so I'm like, they're really just trying to take away the, the center's position completely. That's mm-hmm. when I first saw it. So, like, guys like you and you and I, mm-hmm. like, what can we do in this game now? <laughs> um, we like the dinosaur. Like, we, it's, it's different. Yeah, what, what, I, I couldn't imagine trying to play in this game now. What could I do? We would have had to play every game. I would really have to go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. and create a completely different style of game, which coaches didn't tell you or help you develop that type of game. Then you guys Ooh. would be shooting threes. Rudy Gobert shooting threes back then. I don't. I wasn't allowed to shoot no threes in high school or college. That's not. That just wasn't what I what I did. And and so I, I think for now they're looking at guys, you know, being almost positionless. So you can guard, you can fake, you can you can um, switch every position. So you can switch from one through five, um, guard on the perimeter, take somebody off the dribble, whether you're a five or a four, um, and you have to be able to knock down an open jumper. I mean, that's just that's just where it it's evolved to. And you know, it's interesting. I was watching the um, you know for the last two years, seeing different big men in college that were that were I thought were doing pretty well. Um, big fella from um, UConn. I can't forget, remember his name. Um, Thomas big, Sanogo. Hey, hey, there we go. And he didn't get drafted. Right. And I was like, wait a minute, this dude was this is a monster. Like he's dominating everything. How is he not getting drafted? And I've seen that pattern with different, you know, big men that I've seen in college. And you know, I think it's everything is cyclical. So I think it's going to come back eventually. Um, you know, success that Embiid is having, success that. You know, of course, Jokic is having and, you know, you're going to see, you know, other people valuing big men more. Um, but right now, our value is down. <laughs> it's just that's the only way you can say it. Right. So uh, that's crazy you said that because you're right. Look at the big fella that's from Illinois. Hmm. Um, Kofi didn't, Coburn. Cope didn't go, right? The yeah. guy from Purdue went, but pretty much. Yeah. You know, there's a no no show in the league, right? So it's the 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 position literally just doesn't exist anymore, right? It just doesn't, you know, which is which is crazy. Yeah, it is. But you know what? And what's even more crazy that position exists on the high school level to the point that you can go to top D one college hmm. playing that position. But once college is over. Right. Nowhere for you to be, nowhere for you to go. And I just think that's kind of it's really puts a bad taste in my mouth that you just get rid of a think about it, man. You know, it, it re- reality is a seven foot five, seven foot four guy walking around every day. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. His goal in life and everything he works on was to go to NBA. Right. Now, what does he do? Hey, he got to be like uh, Victor Manyama, work on the yeah. guard skills. You got to be a point guard and uh, yeah. or, or you're playing in Europe. That's what it is. Yeah. Right. You got to play in Europe. But everybody can't be that guy, you know? Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's tough. And so even even with uh with my sons, you know, playing playing high school now, mm-hmm. just be- they 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 probably six seven height at the most, my tallest. Mm-hmm. Don't put my son at five. You're right. You're doing him a disservice. Yeah, you're doing him a disservice. Not just as much as an undersized big has no opportunity. Uh, uh, over a big has no opportunity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. You know, he has a, a big body, but man, you just can't you can't do it these days. It's tough. It's yeah. Tough. Now, some people that some some teams I've seen are are playing a little bit different type of offense, um, where the big is more involved. Because remember when um, Coach Jordan first came to Wizards and he started doing the dribble handoff? That was so foreign to both of us. I was like, so you want me to stand at the top of the key and just dribble all the way down? I had never done that before in my life. That was completely new, but we had to start practicing it. You right. know what I mean? And and I think now, um, you know, fives are expected to do so much more than traditional fives from when we play. So now, like I say, you're you're expected to be able to switch the pick and roll and guard that two man or that or that or that three man, whoever popped out on the on, on the pick and roll. Um, you're expected to be able to push the ball, you know what I mean, and make the right play. And you're expect, expected to be able to pick and pop and knock down an open shot. And those are just expectations that now all fives have to come in, um, you know, having that in their bag, uh, regardless if they're a seven footer or not. If they're six nine, six ten, seven foot, seven two, they have to be able to do those certain things. And uh, that's the difference. We didn't we didn't have to do those certain things. We guarded the paint. You know, somebody came in, we either block the block shots, we you know, you know, physical, get the rebound, outlet. You know what I mean? We didn't catch the ball and then start the break and then pass. We, that was not what they wanted us to do. So I think with the expectation being different, um, you know, you have more that big men are now working on. Um, but then you take away the part about them being big men. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you add that, but then you take away this. So now there's no physicality. Now you can't, you know, so that's, you know. So, question: Who do you think? What big man you think created the change where everybody needed to be like that particular big man? The big man who can guard one through five. The big man who can pick and pop. The big man who can shoot. Um, I don't know if I could see that someone created the change. It was just it just kind of kind of happened with the success that Golden State had. And then you started to see less and less of an emphasis on the importance of big men. That's what I think. So so then as they started, so because if they were playing that style and losing, then I think it might be something different. Right. But they, they're playing that style. Like, well, you got to think about it. When they was playing like that, they were passing the ball down low. They was just shooting it from everywhere. And you had two arguably the best shooters, you know, being in, in, in the league. Um, but they're, they're ranked in history uh, as shooters in the league with, with Steph and Clay, And so they're knocking them down. So it just took less and less importance you know, and value uh, from big men. And that's, that's, that's the way it just kind of went, you know? 
Some Man. of your era guys got more switchable, like the Garnets, the Jermaine O'Neals, maybe even Tim Duncan uh, to some extent. Like, like it, it seemed like there's been a slower progression of guys that could at least switch on the perimeter occasionally. And, and now it's everybody has to be able to switch on every possession. And the drop coverage big is is sort of like a, a dirty word for a lot of these teams. And, and you see that with the Wizards that... Daniel Gafford is like only the, probably the only center on the roster right now. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do, you know, for next season like that. Uh, Don, we'd love to get your perspective on just sort of the, the big man situation with this new Wizards roster. Well, it's interesting because even with the Wizards, you know, we're going to some games, you know, I'm watching and I'm like, huh, nobody's down low. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, for Zingas is is literally on the perimeter, um, you know, and he's, I guess, listed as the five but you know he nobody's down low to get and get the rebounds and it's just it it it's it's really shows how different of a game it has become but then when you play somebody like an Embiid and he's it's so it's it's interesting because watching I've been to a couple of games watching him be in person and he moves so slow you know what I mean? And he's, but there's no resistance. Mm-hmm. So he's just slow walking down into the lane and nobody can stop. That's why people get so, it's like, hey, you don't have to shoot jumpers. There's nobody that can even uh, be allowed to like check you or push you up or something like that. So just slow walk right into the lead and into the lane. And it's, it's just amazing how much the game is different where, you know, nobody is on the, well, they they have big men, but they're not utilizing that. And and even in, against an Embiid, the way that you would think that the big man that you have on your bench will be utilized. You know what I mean? Like give up some fouls, like muscle him a little bit, like bump him. You know, try to try to be physical with him, something like that. It's like that's not even the strategy. And I mean, that just it's, it's a different game. That's all. You, I mean, we talked about it for a while, but it, it's just a different game. So until it starts to cycle back. This is what it's going to be. But Embiid didn't start off that way. What you mean? He didn't start off playing that way in the league. He literally, to me, he transitioned his game to now be more of an outside player. I think that has to do a lot of with, with injuries with him too, though. Um, because I think when he was, because a lot of times when he was playing, and if you watch, when he, he even, even these past years, when he's injured, not 100%, he'll favor one side or like kind of avoid contact. He'll be big, but he's just, so he had some, and especially in his early years when he kept being injured, um, like a healthy MB looked different than when he has something going on. Um, and I did, I did notice that as well. So I think that's a different, a little bit of a different case, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting to see because you see it, but you see it across the league. With different, different, yeah. they're just that's the way they're playing. They have to be able to shoot outside and do those different things. So it's you know, it's different. Do you, do you think the European players coming in to playing a complete different style of game or kind of playing that professional game that they play over there with the bigs? Did you think you think that had any impact on how the NBA changes perspective on how centers should play? Um. I'm not sure. Um, it's a good question. I think sometimes, you know, and, and each team is going to have a different type of strategy in the way that they, you know, implement their offense and who they work toward through. Um, you know, some have kind of tried to duplicate because, of course, it's a complicated league. When they see one thing that works, okay, we're going to try to get a player like that, you know, give it to this player here in a pitch post, 
have them work the off of cuts like their Jokic and, and see how that worked because it worked for them. Um, I, again, it's it's it just depends on what works, you know. That I mean, besides Jokic, has there been a lot of big men that played that kind of style like a Jokic? Um, you know, that have been really successful in the past few years um, from Europe. I don't know. You know what I mean? But all it takes is a Jokic, and now now it's going to be okay. We're going to try to do some of that. But it's it's interesting in talking about him. Um, I think Demarcus Cousins was really able to do all of that that Jokic is able to do. He with you know, but he had his he had his little I don't know what you want to call it temper, maybe a you know stuff with the rail, whatever it is, right? Um, but you take that away. I mean, him and Jokic. I mean, I, I I was very high on Demarcus Cousins. I mean, yeah, I know a lot, a lot of skill. Yeah. I was really high on him, and, and it's interesting when you have players. So talking about like the Marcus Cousins or White Howard or something like that, people who can obviously still play and still have something left to give, and they're not in the league. And that's one where I mean, I'm kind of looking at it. All right, take the Lakers for instance. When was the bubble season? That was like two, three years ago, right? Right. Right, right. Dwight Howard played against Denver. Um, Lakers played against Denver. Dwight Howard came and did a phenomenal job on Jokic. Phenomenal job. He was, you know, um, man, he, he was like old school. You know what I mean? He was real physical with them, kind of got him out of his game. He played a guy. I mean, Jokic still had good numbers, but he, he, he was impactful to Jokic, right? And then you win the championship. And then they're not interested in bringing him back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is the person who helped you get past this series, I would say. Oh, one of the main reasons why you got past Denver in those playoffs leading to the championship. So then you you look at, you know, when the Lakers played Denver after that, and, you know, there was nobody really in there to do what Dwight Howard did, um, you know, one or two years before. And I just question, I'm like, well, why wouldn't you have him there? Why wouldn't you bring him back? Like, why wouldn't you or, or bring a player like that? You know what I mean? Like, I, you bring Mo Bamba, but you don't really play him. Um, you know what I mean? So it's stuff like that where the value of the big men, I don't know if that's what it is that's so down, but, I'm, you know, I'm hoping that it comes back because there's you can see that there is some – um, you know, that big men can have a great impact on the game still, even though it's perimeter oriented and they're all shooting threes. And that's a prime example that I just gave with Dwight Howard, you know, with the Lakers when they won a championship. Yeah, absolutely. He just had the Wizards draft a stretch big in the second round in Tristan Vucevic. And he's basically a seven foot shooter who can handle a little bit. Uh, they just announced that he's going to spend, or it's been reported that he's going to spend next year in Europe, just listen to you guys talk about how many responsibilities a center has to take on in modern basketball. Does it seem like they're doing him a disservice at all to let him wait over there for another year? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't know what you think about that, Jahadi, when, when they draft somebody, but then they keep them over overseas. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't particularly see how that helps because he's already played overseas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think he needs to learn how the game, the NBA game moves. Right. Yeah. So I don't think it particularly helps with that. That um, 
you know, you just leave him overseas for another year. I don't think he gains anything from that. You know, I think he has going, he's going to have to learn to be able to be able to protect the rim, guard one through five, understand how, how the NBA system works, understand how the Wizards system works, right? Right. You know, even to me, even if you go G League, even if you go G League, it's still better now because, man, in the end of the day, I mean, I look at it with Wimby Yamba, right? Mm-hmm. When he was when he was in a uh, summer league, he he has to still figure out how to make a lot of adjustments from mm-hmm. right. So he's not gonna learn those adjustments still playing overseas, right? Because it's a different game. It's a different game. So it's, it's he get he gains nothing by being overseas for another year. I just don't I don't understand the concept of that. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. I agree. So, what do you think about the way the guys like internet went out for the first time in like three? Oh, that's all right. We're rolling. Sorry, <laughs> how, sorry how, about how, how you, no, you're good. How do you feel about where the Wizards are headed now? The direction that they're going. Me, me, first. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like the pieces. You know what? I like. I like the pieces they they got. You know, I really like. I like pool because we need somebody in the end of the day when everything breaks down, he knows how to go get you a bucket. Right. Right. I liked Kuzma last year because they ran, they literally ran not one play for him, but he knows how to get hits. He's still averaging a lot without anything ran for him. Now the system would be tailored toward him and pool. Okay. I like the young guys that get, I really like Bilal. The mm-hmm. one guy from uh, France who played with Wimbiyama. I mm-hmm. think he's people don't know what he's what six eight mm-hmm. point guard. Mm-hmm. Hard to defend, right? He's going to most likely be checking the point guard. Can't can't go and can rebound, run the floor. I had I haven't seen how great he can facilitate yet, but just the body, the the a mindset of a point guard with that size and that body. Think he's gonna really sh- not only shock some people, he's gonna make a name for himself. Right. Right. You know, and then you got you have Kispert, right? Who who can spread the floor, which mm-hmm. I like. Right. I like how you, you know, now you got somebody to spread the floor, which if you spread the floor, it leaves a lot of room for pool. Because pool can get down here really fast. Yeah. Get down here really quick and he's he's crafty. And um I like uh Denny Denny. So Denny is a get downhill. I like I I like the starting five and I like the new point what's the, what's the point guard they got too you know from yeah from Memphis so it doesn't look bad doesn't look bad because what I saw last year was you know Porzingis you know you knew you can predict the game last year mm-hmm. Porzingis was about to get 17 in third half right and then it's kind of whatever whatever then Brad just lights up the fourth half the, you know, the fourth quarter, yeah. right? So, to me, it was too predictable. They were okay. too predictable and too easy and, and easy to guard, right? Because you you know exactly who's getting the ball at what time in the game. You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of um, you know DC fans talk, and um, the thing that's fr- they're frustrated with is not knowing what they keep repeating is not knowing the direction that the team is going. 
and kind of um, stuck. And you hear this phrase all the time that they're stuck in limbo. Of are they either um, kind of resetting um, everything and and restarting over and everything like that, or are they pushing for the playoffs? And it's that middle ground that that kind of seems like the Wizards are falling into um, that has left a lot of Wizards fans a little frustrated. And I I get that because if you if you lose somebody of Bradley Bill's caliber, the first thing you think of is okay, well we must be starting all over. Um, so I I get that frustration and I get that you know that mindset. Um, but you have some really good players here that um, you know and you're talking about as far as Poole and and, and Kuzma especially, um, you know that are really capable of putting up big numbers night in and night out. So it's 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 going to be interesting um, to see, but I, this is not a this is not a rebuilding process. It doesn't look like to me, to my in my opinion, it doesn't look like it's a rebuilding process. It looks like they're pushing for the playoffs, um, and I think that's the that's the frustration because I think a lot of a lot of um, Wizards fans um, think that we're kind of in the middle again. Does that make sense? I, I'm following you. I, I I think they're going to be pretty bad overall. I think the Vegas oh, yeah. line is like 24 and a half. I think they'll be slightly better than that, but uh, I would be shocked if they're anything more than like a fringe play-in team. And and that's on paper, not much worse than last year's team, but it seems like it, at least this year, this group is maybe this front office group is more willing to to want to go with some of the younger guys and give them opportunities to develop. And I don't know if their goal is going to be like really uh, make a deep playoff run at the expense of, you know, a draft pick or things like that. I also believe it's about the system they put in that the players buy into the system. Right. right. I think the system has to fit the type of players you have too, but also it's the other way around. How much the players are really buying into the system. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I really, I, I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but we just all talking, right? Yeah. Why is John Wall not back in the league? That's my question. Why is John Wall, been, so no place could find, there, there's no team that he could be on right now uh, as a as I have a caliber player as he is. But you telling me that John Wall can't fit in any system right now? Please help me out. You and I both know mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that just un- unexplanatory about certain players and why they're not playing or why they're not in the league, right? Mm-hmm. John Wall is definitely one of those players, right? So, yeah. and you can find 10 places that he could fit well and be able to be, you know, help a team out in. I agree. So, I have to chalk it up to as one of those things. You know, you know, who know, you know, and because when when things don't make any sense, you know, when when Mark Jackson is not coaching, uh, you know what I'm saying? It do, like it doesn't add up. Right. Right. I just I, I end up I just chalk it up to it's one of those just don't add up things. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong in Houston. They I just, didn't say that. I didn't I can't put my finger on. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, when people will say, well, well, you know, 
is it a stigma? Yeah, like, well, he didn't do anything wrong in Houston. They they decided not to play him because they wanted to go with the young guys. All right, it happens. You know what I mean? They said, okay, we're not going to, you know, but he didn't cause a, you know, because for a while they were, I don't know if they were trying to say, well, he must, like, he must have done something in order to not be playing in Houston. But that's not what it was. He didn't do anything wrong, right? They just, he came in there, he was professional. I didn't hear any, you know, actual reports of him doing and they just wanted to go with the young guys, which happens. Um, I mean, we went with the Clippers. I mean, I, I you saw flashes of him being like the old John Wall, you know what I mean? And he was looking good, and then they like released him, and then you just didn't hear anything. I was just wondering what y'all thought. I was like, yeah, it's kind of the odd of somebody of his caliber not to, you know, like you said, it might just be one of those things. Nothing, there's no explanation for it. When you mentioned Dwight Howard, too, I, I think my hunch is that it's one of these kind of things where maybe the role the team envisions for the player doesn't mesh with what the player envisions for themselves. And I have friends over with the Clippers that mentioned that maybe uh, wall wasn't completely happy with the role that they had for him. Uh, so that's my gut. My guess is when you have these guys that are fringe, you know, wall's second best player in the East for a while, you know, Dwight was an MVP caliber guy. Um, when you're using them as a third big or a third point guard, and maybe they don't see themselves that way. If you're a team, do you want to deal with anything that might come with a, an unhappy player like that when you could realistically, if you're only going to use them a few minutes a game, you know, go get a lesser pedigreed player uh, to fill that spot? I, I don't know. I, I assume maybe there's some chemistry concern that comes with that. Not that Wall's a bad guy. It's just your expectations have to align before you're going to sign someone like that. that that's my only speculation I, I think, as an answer I here. think that you don't want to invest in an unhappy veteran. Right. Right. I mean, because they, they they can make a lot of impact on the team, on the players, and in the locker room. Right. An unhappy veteran, you automatically, when they come in, the young guys expecting something from them, Not even if it's not, even if it's not playing time. Right. So I think from a team's perspective, that's, you know, an un, uh, unhappy guy that's a veteran coming in, you, you don't you don't want to take that chance. Not saying that that was the case, but yeah. you know. I don't know. I mean, it's it's I, I haven't and I hear you say that they're, they're you know grumblings about it possibly and everything, but I ain't heard nothing confirmed about either one of them, Dwight or creating no, you know what I mean? And it's well, just, Dwight, I, I knew they had it, you know with Dwight, you remember the the the, the meeting they had before he, they brought him in. Yeah, but he thought he was going back. Like he he yeah. tweeted, I'm coming back to LA type thing. Like he yeah. thought they were, it was good, right? No, yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, he did a good job. You know, he did a, he did his role. Right. Now, I don't know if they felt like his role was significant enough or important enough, right? But we saw it from my perspective how we play the game. We saw how how important it is at crucial times when they needed them and in crucial times in the playoffs when you had to play, stop certain particular people. Right. So, you know, but who knows, you know, one of them things, like you said, one of those things. <laughs> I think somebody that sees the game like a wall and somebody that was, you know, that led this like encyclopedic memory of plays and everything like that would be good to have around young players, assuming you would pick. He was, you know, okay with being the guy to mentor people like that. So, so not to change the subject, but 
you know, seeing your son, right? Seeing, uh, you know what? You know, I went to some of his games, how dominant play he is, how much a, a high flyer he is, a D1, top D1 prospect, you know. I was I was watching, I listened to Gil's podcast the other day, and he was talking about his son, who's also, you know, made really big moves, strides in, in high school basketball and USA basketball and top prospect. Mm-hmm. He was saying that, and he was interviewing Stackhouse, but what he was saying was he won't let his son get an NIL in college because he wants him to earn everything he gets and still wants him to be have that same hunger and start earning, hopefully if he makes the NBA, start earning then. What's your positions on NILs and, and the portal? I mean, to be honest, you know, our situations are different, so it's kind of hard to really, um, you know, gauge where the NIL, because there, there's some guys, you know, of course, you know, I was, you know, coaching in, the, you know, AAU before, before COVID, um, but talking to a lot of different guys, you know, that NIL deal that they are able to get in college is helping their family. Um, so it is a high level of importance to them um, and, and what they're able to do. So I know sometimes the narrative is that all oh, these high school players are just being greedy and they just want to be, I was like, you got to understand some guys don't have nothing. You know what I mean? Like they're coming from nothing. Like their parents are struggling. One parent might need a surgery that they can't afford or one that, you know, you don't know people's situations. So, you know, I definitely don't knock any of the things that are going on as far as NIL wise, um, you know, but if you can take that part, you know, and separate that from that, there, there is a, it's a totally different landscape because we didn't have that coming out. So, you know, I do think that some players may be making, um, decisions based on NIL, but that doesn't mean that that's the best place for them. Um, that's the best college for them or the best situation, the best coach. It's just the best NIL deal. And I don't think that's something that's sustainable um, for that player's growth if it's not the best system. So you can have a great NIL deal and be completely miserable at the college that you're at because it's not the right system for you. It's not the right coach. You know, y'all not vibing. And, um, you know, as far as the transfer portal, I, I have mixed opinions on it, to be 100% honest. You know, from so from one standpoint, the fact that players can have the freedom to be able to move to a different place, just like the coaches have the freedom to be able to move to a different place and not be penalized, I'm all for it. You know what I mean? Because I, I used to think that was not fair. <laughs> you know what I mean? A coach could go. You could, that could be the coach that recruited you, Right for two years and you get there and they say, well, I'm taking another job someplace else. And you stuck with this other coach <laughs> that don't know nothing about you as a player. And then if you leave, you have to sit out a year. I didn't think that was right. So, you know, from just a standpoint of that, I think it, you know, it's making it more fair. Now the opposite of that, that side is, you know, I think I just looked at a tweet from the transfer portal um, site and they were saying like, it was like 45% or something like that percent of players who enter the transfer portal are not going to be playing division one basketball this year. I think that's terrible. Yeah. Wow. I think that's terrible. So, so the number of players that transferred uh, that entered the transfer portal this year was staggering. It's like 2000 or something, I think. Right. So, so, so it's like, well, everybody's not going to get picked up. There's not enough space. Right. You know? and it, it's, so that part, as far as the structure of it, 
it's not good. You can't look at it and say that's a good thing. You know, you have some players that are on their third school and they're juniors. That's not, I don't know if that's good either. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of, there's different sides to it. I, you know, um, it's a tough one because you want the players to be able to have the freedom to do it, but there has to just be a little bit better of a system. But I don't know what the answer to that is. You know, I mean, maybe you get one transfer and that's the one transfer and use it wisely. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but yeah, yeah I saw that dude, stat. about 45% of them are not even going to be playing division one basketball this year. The transfer, that's not good. That's not good at all. No. Do you think that NIL may be taking a little bit of hunger away from a kid in, in certain, in certain cases, not all of them, but you know, when we were kids coming up, for a pair of shoes, we did try to get an MVP of a, a tournament just for one pair of shoes, right? So, yeah. you know, does it kill some of the the hunger and a drive from a kid to be able to get four four hundred thousand? <laughs> I mean, for some kids it may, for some kids it won't. I mean, I think I think that that depends on the kid. Um, I think for some kids, just having the shoes back in the day and the bag kind of killed their hunger <laughs> and, and the press clippings. We had social media, so it was like press clipping. People talking good about you in the newspapers killed their hunger and they kind of relaxed on their laurels. You know, I mean, you had you had cats that, you know, we knew it back in our day. They didn't even do nothing yet. <laughs> and they, they had was like this, Ooh. right? <laughs> so so I think it depends on on the, the player. So for some, you know, yeah, some cats, when they got their little Pell Grant money, you couldn't tell them nothing. Right. You know what I mean? And so it, I think I think it all depends. I understand the the thought of, you know, so now with, with us, with our sons, you know, you know, we can motivate our sons in different ways. Because first of all, they're not coming from a situation where they're struggling. So that aspect of it is not is not, you know what I mean, a part of it. Um, but then you don't want them to be spoiled. You know what I mean? And you want that. But like I'm saying, that's each. Uh, each player is going to be different. I think that's what it is. You see some players, you know, when they get their contract, they they chill, you know, or when they get their rookie deal, not even their second contract, but their rookie deal, they're kind of chilling. You know what I mean? We see. So I think it works. I think it can work both ways. It's just a matter of, you know, the particular player. That's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, the three on three thing right now is a big thing going around mm -hmm. in the Olympics now. So if you had to pick a three-on-three -three team or, or for your team, right? Yeah. From current three current players on, on the Wizards, who would it be? And then you would have to pick three, include on including you, two other players from your past team teammates you had with the Wizards. I, yeah, I always hate questions like this. You're like, I don't I don't know how to put um uh, when because you always hear them like what three with with this what could, who could beat this three and they say something like you know Jordan LeBron and Kobe you know or something like you that. like playing with though or maybe suited your game well I, like when Jahani and I talked about this uh, he picked uh, Rod Strickland and Tracy Murray probably not the two best guys he played with but guys that suited his game he had a connection with that sort of thing yeah and, was, hey, hey look <laughs> he was saying maybe instead of Tracy Murray you could pick Rip. Because he runs the floor, right? He runs and you got to guard him. And I was like, yeah, but I need to touch the ball. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. 
don't know. That's a tough one, Hadi. I, I I swear that's a tough one for me. I might have, I might have to I might have to pass on that one. I'm never good at those questions. That's fair. Of those questions, I always struggle with. I don't know, Hadi. I don't know where to get those questions. <laughs> I don't know. I'm telling you. I always get asked those. I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> so, so the Jordan era with the Wizards. Uh-huh. What are some of the things, if you had, if you took one, two, or three things from that Jordan era, what would they be? So for me. That, that, um, you, that you still like today. No, so for me, one of the things that I really saw, and I and I always bring this up when I'm asked about the Jordan era, is when how much the media can turn on you. And I was watching how they were talking about Jordan. And it was like he was king of the world and he's this and he's that and this and that. And then he had like a bad game or two. <laughs> and they switched so quick. I was like, dang, he's old. He's washed up. He should have never came back. So I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, like that's that's amazing. You know what I mean? And, you know, he's using stuff as, as fuel and motivation and everything like that. But just the just the way that, you know, the media can switch and how you can use it to fuel just by watching MJ. Um, because he used everything. So the way they showed in the documentary, that you know, I saw that. I saw that in a person. Saw him sitting there reading newspapers, you know, always biting the lip like they were doing when he, you know what I mean? Rocking and hug. Like I saw all that. Um, so I remember that one game he played, he had like, yeah, like the he he broke his streak for being for having double digit points or something like that, right? You remember? I think we might have been playing Indiana. I don't remember, you know. And then and that was one game where the papers was killing him after that. And then he came back that next game and he set the record for the most points by somebody over thirty nine or four, whatever, whatever that was. And it was like the very next game. But I remember walking into the locker room and seeing him reading the papers of them killing him. Cause I had seen, I'd seen the papers before that morning, you know what I mean? And I remember he was just sitting there rocking, looking at it, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of humming, kind of drinking some coffee, you know what I mean? And, and, and I remember seeing it and I remember asking Leitner who was, you know, remember his uh, lock was right next to mine. Um, and I was like, man, they, isn't it crazy how they, uh, how they just start killing Jordan? He was like, Hey, you want to know about that? I can tell you about that. You know, yeah, that's a good point. Right? Yeah. And Le- Leitner was the coolest dude, and it's so, it's so interesting because when I first met Leitner, I was like, you know, I grew up hating your guts. I very much dislike like, you. <laughs> your guts my entire life, and he laughed, and he was like, everybody has. I was like, but you are really like a cool and the coolest dude and the coolest, coolest dude you ever had. And I was like, man, I hated you. Hated you. So I would, I would, I remember coming back, um, you know, home and people be like, hey, so you know, who do you who's cool on the wizards? Like, who do you hang with? Like, who are the people? I'm like, y'all not gonna believe this. Right. <laughs> of the same way. Leitner is the coolest dude. They was like, get out of here. Man, that ain't I was like, I'm trying to tell you. My locker is right next to his. He's the coolest dude on earth. Right. He was uh, so cool. I started giving a nickname, I started calling him Lake Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know, when you give a person a a, a nickname that stick, and I like, that means they cool, they cool. And you're like, man, did I just give 
Leitner a, a, a nickname? Christian Leitner. <laughs> yeah. Right. We all grew up hating. You know? Yeah, like, hating. Yeah. That's it's what they call birthday. that. His birthday was just yesterday. It just passed. It oh, that's right. His birthday, yeah. Yeah, I saw him at a, we had a um event down at the uh with the Wizards during draft night, and he came there, and it was great to see him. I was like, that's not like you know, it's it was it was great. No, he's cool dude. Mm-hmm. He was just at a, a Wizards Junior camp this week, uh, down at the Entertainment and Sports Arena where the Mystics play too. And it seems oh, like he he likes being back in the fold here a little bit, which is is nice to see. Great. It seems like he doesn't have an NBA home, so I'd we'll take him on. Um, cool with that. As a Maryland fan, I'm still willing to to get over uh, any past biases biases there. So. Yeah, that's cool. But it's just interesting how what we think we know of a person. You know, from seeing them play, we don't really know them, and that's one thing that I really learned from late. Because what I, you know, I I had in my mind who he was, you know, I I and and it was the complete opposite <laughs> once I was his teammate. So I, I thought that was that was really interesting. You just you was convinced like he a prick. Oh man, look at him. Oh, he coming like a real hit. This is about to happen. That's about to happen. Right. Completely different. Yeah. I was like, man, that... so you, first conversation, you almost look like, hold up, man. Oh, you right, right. right. Is he tricking <laughs> me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So coming into the league, like when you came into the league, you know, great player at Syracuse, uh, first pick, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get into the league, you know, I, I know from I can only go from you know beginning to Washington, like mm-hmm. when you got to Washington, you kind of had to earn things. It just it's, it wasn't just there where you you know right. thrown on the floor and starting, and right. you really had to earn thing and go to the process of becoming the the player you were and the the career you had in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Right? What would you give players? You know, or like young players that's coming in the Wizards, right, and, and going to have to go through that process. What got you through there, and what would you give players to, like, what to do, you know? So so what I tell players, even in young players, if you even going down to the middle school, high school players, um, you know, I just still do a lot of, you know, talking with young people and, you know, speaking in different camps and doing things like that and working with young people. Um, but at any level, middle school, high school, college, you know what I mean, professional, you know, coming in their rookie year. Is, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it goes like this. It doesn't always just go like this. And I would tell them, and you know, it's interesting who told me this was um, Papa Jones. I remember him telling me this. He said, you don't get too high and you don't get too low. You remember him saying that? He always okay. He's like, you don't get too high, you don't get too low. Um, you try to stay even. And I, I think that that is such great advice because there are going to be times when things aren't going well. You know what I mean? Where you're not vibing with the coach, where you're not playing well, where you're not getting playing time, where something isn't going the way that you thought that it was going to go and you can't get too low. You know what I mean? And then there's going to be other times where things might be going well. (laughs) You know what I mean? But but as you know, in the league, it can be going well and it changed. Yeah. You could be rolling, everything like that, and then bloop, yep. you know, everything kind of kind of shifts. So you can't get too high. 
You know, it's just you have to stay stay even and stay the course and, you know, keep keep focused and keep working hard no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad. And I think that's the mentality, um, you know, that a lot of young players need to be able to. And I don't want to sound like, you know, you know, the, that person is like, oh, these young players don't be. But there is something that I do see where I think there's value in fighting through adversity sometimes, um, you know, not not to just say, OK, this isn't right. I quit. I'm going to go find a different situation. Or, you know, I don't, this coach isn't, you know, doesn't like me. So it's not going to work here. You know, sometimes you got to make a coach suspect you on the court. Sometimes you got to prove yourself. Sometimes you got to be patient. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Something, something, it's, 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 it's a tough situation. I'm not saying people shouldn't, you know, look for better situations if they're not in a good situation that they're in, but there's something to, I think there's value in, you know, fighting through adversity um, and coming on the other side of it as where you can say, OK, I started off here, you know, and then and, and I've had it. So my daughters, my daughters play volleyball. Right. And in the beginning of the year. My daughter started playing travel and she really wasn't getting the playing time that, you know, parents She'd be like, hey, why, why, why she ain't playing? it? You know what I mean? Right. And she like, you know. You know, you're comparing her to other girls looking like, well, she do what she's doing and everything like that. Thinking that's how parents, you know, of course, think. And but encouraging her. And I'm like, all right, keep fighting. Keep, keep, you know, pushing. Keep doing what you're supposed to do. And ask questions. If the coach wants you to do X, Y and Z, you know what I mean? Learn to make sure that you're doing X, Y and Z. Because if the person's playing in front of you is slipping, you know what I mean? Make sure that you come in and you don't do what they do. They got to, to get them slipping and get them fussed out and yanked out the game. You make sure you're doing X, Y, and Z that the coach wants. So different things like that. And sure enough, you know what I mean? Towards the middle, towards the end of the year, she started playing more. The coach started relying on her more. You know, start that. And and it was there's value in that. You know what I mean? I mean, just fighting through it. Now, I don't want to sound like the old geezer or nothing like that, but I just I don't know. I think sometimes there's just value in it. I I get it. I get it a hundred percent. Right, because when I when I got to the Wizards, which was my first team, the center was Terry Davis, mm. right, and the coach was Bernie Bernie at the time. So Bernie would put me in every now and then. I would go in and get three fouls real fast, little bitch. Go in and get three fouls against other bitch. And Mitch had to come to me, say, "Man, you know what? You know what's going on?" I was like, "What's up?" He's like, "You getting the opportunity." Like, I've been in this league a long time. They're making sure they give you an opportunity, right? I said, you, he said, you just go in there and get in fouls and come back out. I don't know if you realize you actually get an opportunity or don't really go like that, mm. right? And that, that really stuck with me. So then I, you know, really started focus on, focusing on trying to stay in the game. You know, I was, you know how you go. You just go off adrenaline when you first go in. Right, right. So right. now I'm going, focusing, staying in the game, really make, trying to make an impact to the point to where I'm like, okay, maybe next year I'll be a starter. Then next year comes, they Ike Austin comes in. Mm. Now he's a starter. I'm like, wow. So now I have to go to another complete, another year mm. working for a starting position, right? Not saying, um, uh, that it should be given to me because, you know, I was a second round. I have to earn everything. Like you said, it's a process. But 
by midseason, I did work myself in the starting position, but it took all of that. You know, so like you said, you can't get too low, can't get too high. But it's it's all about to me, it was all about what you don't what you don't have and proving yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. If they if they somehow in one practice you get on the B team, you know how they used to do that, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> oh, how do you get on the B team? Nothing, nothing bad. It's just we're trying to see some things. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> B team, let me kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. Let me kill everybody. But sometimes you need that, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I think that that process really just, you know, dealing like you said, dealing with adversity, understand that it's gonna come, you know, and not even when you're too high, you know, you gotta still stay even kill because you know that can go away too. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. Hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Johnny, maybe one more question. We let a ton out of here. I know he's got stuff to to do with this afternoon here. Um, do you care if I spit one at you guys? And it can be a quick answer. I guess just the Wizards only have one national TV game as players. Is that demoralizing to know starting at the year that nobody's <laughs> going to see you play? One? They have one? Yep. Yeah. And I think it's an I'm, NBA. I'm almost speechless on that. That's tough. <laughs> that's yeah, tough. That's, that's, that's an insult. Yeah, yeah I agree. That's a huge insult. What you think, Atari? Oh, that's that's, that's disrespectful. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. One. Wow. Wait, what's the one that they have? I it might be the Bradley Beal return game against Phoenix. I I would have to double check. Um, but I think it's somewhere like later in the season too. And that doesn't mean that they couldn't add more as the year goes on. But at least from the starting point here, uh, not not going to be a must watch apparently for uh, national TV audiences. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, that's and that's that's definitely not the direction they're trying to go in. I know that. Yeah, you don't you don't revamp everything to now have one. That. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. That's that's disrespectful. That's absolutely disrespectful. Yeah, it is. And, and and you know what? As a player, that's what you want to know, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what they think about us. Give you a little chip on your shoulder. Yeah, that's a chip. That's definitely a chip. It's a big chip. Yeah, that's a big chip. Yeah, sorry. I just want to get your perspective on that one because as a as a fan, I if I were a player, I'd be pissed about that, and I would be you know hungrier because of it. So I'm I'm glad to know I'm not crazy uh, for feeling that way. All right, we're not gonna keep you, but one more. That's all good. Get your perspective on this really quick. Okay. The Lando Magic. Mm-hmm. Right, and the owner and the team. They funded, help help put some money toward DeSantis' campaign, mm-hmm. considering his stance on education and even worse, the slavery situation. Right, to not be political. What what's your what's your view on that? So I mean, um, <clears throat> you know, I wrote an article about this in the Guardian, and um, you know, I think it's really a, it's a slap in the face to every. Um, not just black player, but black, you know, coach, um, black, you know, executive, um, you know, black administrator, black person associated with the organization and the black fans uh, of the Orlando Magic. I mean, what DeSantis is doing, I mean, he's running his entire campaign on racism. I mean, I don't think that's even, it's not even, you know, before with some, you know, politicians, there would be dog whistles. 
You know, I mean, some dog whistles that you would hear certain they say, and you know who they're talking about, you know, but, but him, it ain't even, it's not even discreet. Like it's, it's just racism. It's the quiet part out loud. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, for, and it's, <clears throat> it was shocking to me that an organization, you know, and you know, the Devos family and their history of, you know, the right and everything like that. But for them to do that on behalf of the entire organization, you know, it's different if they do that on their own, but they're doing it on behalf of, of the Orlando Magic organization. Um, that's really problematic. I mean, I, I, I have to say, and it's not a matter of, you know, because somebody wants to say, well, you know, aren't they free to be able to um, contribute to whoever they want? Well, of course they are. Of course they have that right. I'm not saying that. But, you know, when you have someone who has the platform um, that DeSantis has and what he's been running on and his ideals that he's made crystal clear. Um, I mean, this, this, this man just proved the curriculum to say that, you know, the people who are enslaved actually learned valuable, um, life lessons, life lessons or traits that they could, you know, trades that they can carry out, um, you know, and, and it would be positive for them. I was like, wow, like that's, but for him to make a statement like that and to support curriculum, that's going to be, you know, that he wants that to be taught to young children, you know, all throughout Florida. I mean, you know, you, and you have to look at different terms. Like imagine if, you know, imagine if a governor said that, you know, there was some positive traits from the Holocaust, and, you know, we can look at some of the people who went through the Holocaust and, you know, they picked up valuable traits and, you know, things of that nature. And we want that to be entered into curriculum. And then a team supported him. You know what I mean? That, that, that's, and you have to ask those kind of questions and make that kind of analogy for people to really understand, you know, the significance of it. It's like that's, you know, this should be talked about more. Um, you know, I saw that the MVPA. Uh, made a statement saying that they didn't approve of it and he definitely doesn't speak for everyone. I'm sure a lot of the Orlando Magic, you know, spoke to them and said, okay, well, that doesn't speak for us. So he's, they made that statement, but it's, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it speaks volumes that that happened. And it also speaks volumes that it's not as big of a deal as it, as it is right now. So that's my answer. Uh, athletes and activism, your book, uh, was one of my favorite books I read last year or maybe two years ago at this point, I'm losing track post pandemic, um, of times, but any other new books in the work or anything, Italian or anything you want to plug in general? Yeah, sure. You know, I wrote, if you remember Eric Garner's daughter, um, Emerald Garner, I wrote her book with her, um, <clears throat> telling her story and telling her journey and her fight for justice and, um, what she had to go through. I mean, people, you know, people don't know that the, you know, they hear the stories of police brutality and they see the hashtags, but then they don't know the impact that it has on the family. And, you know, with them becoming, um, you know, dedicating their life to fighting for justice, not only for their loved one, but the people who, you know, that people that it won't continue to happen to other people. So they're fighting for laws to be changed and they're fighting for, you know, systems to be put in place to be able to protect people from you know, hold police officers accountable and everything like that. And uh, so she has an incredible story. Um, you know, her book is called Finding My Voice. Um, 
and it was you know it was an honor to be able to write it with her so that's awesome i will put the link to that in the episode description here for anybody that's interested in getting a copy please go out and do that uh, sure. i promise i would say this even if you weren't on but you're a terrific writer and, and i look forward to checking that out personally i definitely appreciate it i appreciate it i appreciate it uh jihad you want to take us out here man we love having you appreciate you being here you know you're my guy man cool. always so thanks for thanks for taking time out hey whenever whenever you need me let me know you know you you come on my show plenty of times we've talked about a lot of different stuff people still talk about um you know when we had that discussion about kwame that's a great episode. <laughs> I know they still like we was down at EYBL. They'd be like, "Hey, when you and your former teammates had that, because that was good. It was a whole yeah. lot of, we didn't know." I was like, "Yeah, that's why we got together and had to talk." You right, know? it was a good idea, it was, and it was the right time too. So perfect timing, right? Perfect, perfect timing. timing. Yeah. You, you was quick on the trigger with that one. Yeah, I, I just hit you. I didn't see what Daddy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that one went viral. It did. Yeah, it did, and it was so quick. Like I hit y'all, y'all was like, "Yeah, cool, let's do it." Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that was dope, right? So, well, I appreciate awesome. you, my man. Love you. All right, man. Love you too, man. Appreciate you having me on. All right, peace. All right, everybody. You know the drill: rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, we're presented by BetOnline.ag, and we will catch y'all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube